Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, September 30th, 2019. Today we are continuing our study on the overview of the book of Luke and Acts. And today we are looking at caring for the marginalized and the poor as a theme that we see carried out throughout the book of Acts and uh, in and that begins in the book of Luke. And so we'll start in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14. And to see the beginning of Christ's ministry, which marked out the care of Christ for the marginalized, the care of Christ for the poor. This is what Luke's gospel says, chapter 4, starting in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in all their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, which he, where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he, Jesus, rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came all over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, and none of them were cleansed but Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, that all the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he, Jesus, went away. You see, coming from the wilderness and the power of the Holy Spirit, after being tested by the devil, Jesus begins his ministry going right to the heart of the people, the synagogue. Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth into the synagogue and reads what would have been an extremely familiar passage from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 2. This passage would have been a familiar and a hopeful passage. But then after Jesus quotes the words from Isaiah, he takes the Bible that they had, the scroll of Isaiah, and he rolls it up. He says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then he sits down, a sign that it was completed. This was what they would call today a mic drop. The people may have thought that Jesus was just another prophet like John the Baptist for telling the coming of the Messiah, but what they didn't understand was that Jesus was the Messiah. He had come to fulfill the truth that Isaiah had written in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. John the Baptist, he would even later send and ask Jesus, and we, we have these words recorded in Luke chapter 7, verse 20. He said, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? But this is what Jesus responds to John the Baptist in Luke 7, 22 through 23. He says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. 
Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, Jesus is telling these at the synagogue, the Messiah had come, the hoped for king, the eternal son of David, the liberator of sin, the savior of the world, the total rule, world ruler, and the one who would bring complete justice and peace. He did this by bringing care for the marginalized and poor to demonstrate a coming spiritual reality. Jesus thus began his earthly ministry by going to his hometown synagogue to announce that this small town carpenter's son was the long anticipated Messiah. Jesus also signifies that he has come for a day of grace and a day of liberation. Huh. Look again at Luke chapter 4 verses 18 through 19, this quote from Isaiah 61. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. His mission is our mission. Luke 4, 18-19 is not only the pronouncement of Jesus as Messiah, but it's an outline of his mission. And it also is the mission that he gives to us, his church, his chosen people. We are therefore tasked to take the good news to the poor, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. And this is the mission that Jesus has given us. But we must be careful because there are two mistakes that we can take or, or make on mission. First is limit, limiting this poverty to the physical. Jesus says in Revelation 3, 17 through 18, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, but realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You see, beloved, the arrogant, self-satisfied, overly indulgent, wealthy American is just as utterly poverty-stricken and miserable in the eyes of our God as are the physically poor, if that arrogant, self-satisfied, overly indulgent, wealthy American does not have the gospel of Christ Jesus. We see in Luke 19 that Zacchaeus had amassed the world's riches. It actually says that he was a tax collector and that he was very rich. However, he was spiritually bankrupt. After finding real treasure in Jesus, Zacchaeus surrenders his will to the Lord. And Jesus says in refrain, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. You see, the poverty we are called to alleviate is not just physical, but it's spiritual in nature. But that can also lead us to the second mistake that we can make from the mission and that is ignoring physical and social poverty. We cannot sit back and think we are following Jesus when we feel no compassion and take no action on behalf of people who are materially in poverty, who are hungry, who are captured unjustly behind iron bars, who are physically afflicted with diseases like blindness, who are oppressed by human power brokers. Isaiah 58.10 says, If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. James 2, starting in verse 14, says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. First John three seventeen. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not just love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
You see, we cannot ignore the physically poor and downtrodden around us. We cannot fall into these mistakes, but be a people who are vigilant about preaching the gospel to the spiritually bankrupt, as, show, as well as showing the gospel by the way we care for the physically poor. And so there are three specific groups of impoverished, marginalized, that, that Jesus mentions here in quoting Isaiah chapter 61. And those are the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. First, the captives. Physically, we should be mobilized to help people be released from the captivity of alcohol, drugs, pornography, perverse sexuality, and gluttony. It ought to grieve us that image bearers of God are held captive by foreign power brokers or slave owners or evil governments. We must grieve and mourn with those that mourn, but also be spurred to action. Wilbur, William Wilberforce, who was the emancipator of slaves in England, he was, he was persecuted for being such a fanatic to, to free slaves. And he said this, If to be freeingly alive to the sufferings of my fellow creatures is to be a fanatic, I am one of the most incurable fanatics ever permitted to be at large. Huh. But we must also preach and show the gospel so that people can also be released from the captivity of sin. Romans 6.22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We must be about showing the justice of the kingdom to the captives, but we also must be about showing the justice of the kingdom to the blind. Physically, nobody who follows Jesus should be indifferent to disability and disease. Freely we have received our health, so freely let us care for those who suffer through sickness. There are those in our midst with cancer and pain and incurable diseases. There are orphans around the world who need to be adopted, who are blind, deaf, have Down syndrome, Turner syndrome, or another ailment. Let us advocate for them passionately. But let us also be vigilant about healing others from the blindness of unbelief. Acts 26, verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, in their case, the God of this world, little g, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, big G. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. We have been called, beloved, to show justice to the blind, both to care for those with physical infirmary, but also to show the gospel, the light of Christ to those who are blind in their unbelief. But third, we are also called by this passage to take the gospel to show justice to the oppressed. Physically, we show compassion, empathy, and gospel action for those who are powerless and abused. This includes caring for the orphan, the widow, and the stranger, and the alien. This is showing gospel hospitality through adoption, through foster care, through visiting, through provision, and through loving care. But we also must be setting people at liberty from the oppression of the devil. Second Timothy, Paul says to Timothy so succinctly in Second Timothy 2, starting in verse 24, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. 
God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Oh, beloved, we must preach this gospel to those that are oppressed by the devil. We must be the one that preaches the gospel to those who have been physically oppressed. And you see, the people were looking for a leader who would make Israel great again, not for a suffering servant who came to seek the marginalized and the poor to restore to them the kingdom. And so that's why the people revolt in verses 29 and 30, because they didn't get what they wanted. Their wealth controlled them. And they knew that lepers were unclean. Jesus was coming to help not just the Jew, but also to the Sidonians and, and the Syrians, Gentiles. Oh, and it, this, this enraged the people in Nazareth. And they tried to throw him off. And beloved, before we just shake our finger at this synagogue in Nazareth, as we just shake our finger at these Jews, beloved, let us know that the book of Luke and Acts examine our hearts and actions as well. Are we going to throw the call and commands of Christ away? Are we going to throw them off a cliff? Are we willing to humble ourselves and care for the marginalized and poor and in so doing, showing the gospel of Christ Jesus? That's why I want us to see quickly Five quick glimpses of the process of caring for the marginalized and poor that we see throughout this two-volume work by Luke, the book of Luke and of Acts. First, we see blessings to the poor, right? Jesus says in his reiteration of the Beatitudes here in Luke, it says, and he, Jesus, lifted up his eyes, Luke chapter 6, verse 20, on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you people when people hate you and when they exclude you and when they revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for their fathers did to the prophets." But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The Beatitudes and the woes talk about the ultimate examples of those who aren't living for this world, but for another kingdom. But to recognize that the mercy of God is still at work, even though the greatest benefit of the kingdom of God is delayed. Today he is providing for us. He is feeding us. He is comforting us as we weep. He is giving us his better name. This is truly not your best life now, but your best life deferred. Notice that all of these are promises for the future. Even the woes. You take the blessing now through riches. Oh, one day you will reap consolation prize. Oh, you are hungry now? Don't worry. One day you will be full and satisfied in the kingdom of God. But let us not also forget that Jesus has brought the kingdom of heaven to earth in his own kingly power and fellowship. And we can enjoy foretastes of it here and now, even though the full experience of life of the kingdom will wait for us in the age of, to come. You see, God is blessing the poor and he does so through our participation. And he's showing the kingdom of God by the way that we bless the poor in following him. But that brings us to the second quick glance. Not only does he bless the poor, but he cares for children and widows, the most marginalized in and amongst the people. 
Luke chapter 9, uh, the disciples were, uh, after seeing the greatness of God, after seeing the transfiguration, after Jesus has foretold his death, after he has said, take up your cross and follow me, we see in verse 46 that an argument is still arising among them about who was the greatest. So Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is the least among you all is the one who is great. You see, pride looks out for everyone's self and jockeys for position. The opposite of pride is, is stooping down and becoming a child and helping a child. Now, children are not perfect, but in their innocence, they trust fully and completely. Orphans and vulnerable children are those who have found the, tr the, the trust incomplete and have experienced trauma as a result. And we must lay down our pride and care for them. We must care for the marginalized. We must care for the orphan and the widow. And in so doing, we are showing the kingdom of God. We're showing a foretaste of the kingdom of God, right? So we know that children are born selfish. Oh, but in their innocence and in their trust, we must mimic them first with our own lives, but then we must protect them from those who would violate their trust, from those that would hurt them. Oh, but also we must care for the widows and organize ourselves in such a way that we are caring for those who are most vulnerable. A widow had no standing and no provision. That's why we see in Acts chapter 6, one of the first things that the apostles do to organize the church is to create deacons. And these deacons were to care for the widows. They were to love on the widows. And, and part of the reason they did is they realized that the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. When the distribution would come, they would go to the heads of the households, the men. And the widows, those whose husbands had passed away, were being neglected. Oh, in the kingdom, we care for children and widows. So there's the blessing of the poor. There's the caring for children and widows. But then third, there is the reminder of the corrupting power of wealth. We're, we're reminded over and over by Jesus that wealth corrupts absolutely, that, that it corrupts the soul, it corrupts the mind. We see in the, uh, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16, that Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich for God. The desire of wealth is like an insatiable hunger and thirst, which can never be satisfied. The more you get, the more you crave and the more you want. Wealth opens up your eyes to all that you don't have. It leads to comparison. But mark my word, it always leaves you empty. Just like that new iPhone, the toy or the piece of furniture or the new outfit. Wealth and possession steal our hearts and our greatest ability to desire. The way we pine for wealth is ultimately the way we should be hoping for the kingdom. Wealth can corrupt. That's why we must care for the poor. That's why we must care for the orphan and the widow. Because ultimately, wealth corrupts our hearts. But that leads us to the fourth, uh, the fourth glimpse that we see from this book. And it's found in, in Acts. And we see both in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 that after the preaching of the gospel that those who heard the gospel were, were generous. They, they gave to one another. They, they gave freely. 
Luke or Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You see, to come face to face with the gospel and with the Holy Spirit is to have the bonds and the chains of the world loosened. No longer are we living in a world where standards, uh, 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 that, that we have to meet up to worldly standards, which state whoever has the most toys wins. But no, now we are living for the kingdom of God and the spread and the proclamation of his glory. When the gospel is proclaimed and then revealed in Acts, it reorients the lives of those who hears. Barnabas, a Levite, who would not have had much possessions or many possessions, takes all that he has and he lays it at the apostles' feet because he understands the generosity of the kingdom. Oh, but that leads us to the the last quick glimpse, and that's the freedom that's found in generosity and humility. Oh, you see, we have tasted the surrender unto our great God, what may look like burdensome to, to be freed of our of our toys, of our possessions, we actually see is freedom to trust in God. That's why I love what Luke says in Luke uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 32. Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old and with treasure in heavens that do not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like the man who waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. So that they may open the door to him. And at once he comes and knocks. Oh, blessed are those servants whom master finds them awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table. And he will come and he will serve them. Oh, beloved. You see, when... We are loosened from our possessions. When, when we are living with generosity and humility, oh, that's when, when Jesus can truly say, fear not, for it is the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Oh, we care for the marginalized. We care for the poor today, ultimately, because that care demonstrates, it shows to a, a waiting world what the glory of Christ Jesus really looks like, what the, what the love of Christ Jesus looks like. It shows the world what the kingdom of God will look like. And so we care for the marginalized in the poor, ultimately, to show the kingdom of God. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the country of Romania. We're praying for the Lord to bring more missional-minded Romanian families to Lifeline. And so, as you may or may not know, only Romanian descent families can currently adopt from Romania. So we're praying for more missionally-minded Romanian families living in the United States to come here. Praising the Lord for Petri, uh, our staff member, our team member in Romania, as well as his wife Kyle and their three girls, Lydia, Miriam, and Sophia. They run the Ringen Foundation, and through this foundation, they are able to reach the unreached in local villages in Fagaras. We're praying specifically for them as they minister to discriminated gypsy people and families who are living in very harsh uh, conditions. 
We pray for Alex Ely, the executive director of Romania Without Orphans, and his family as his adopted son has actually recently chosen to leave their home. We pray for our team that will travel to Romania this fall for Families Count training. We pray for the government, for Camilla, our contact at the National Authority for Adoption. We pray we can continue to develop a strong relationship with her and communication would be clear. We pray for Gabriela, the president of the ministry in Romania. We pray for her consideration as she is the one who makes decisions on matching children with families. And we pray for wisdom and discernment for our Lifeline team, for Josh and Jana and Brianna and Toria and Dasha. We praise the Lord for the unadopted partnerships as they continue to grow in Romania. And we praise the Lord for a team that will be traveling to three different cities uh, in November to take families count and to take the hope of the gospel to orphans in need. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to get to work in this beautiful country, the country of Romania. We pray that you would continue to bring mission-minded families living in the U.S. with Romanian descent our way that would want to adopt and bring home a child from Romania. We praise the Lord for our partners that we have on the ground, for Petri and for Alex. We just ask for you to wash over them with your word and to show them your kindness and your gentleness and your love. We just ask especially for uh, Kyle and, and Petri as they raise their family, that you would uh, undergird them and give them wisdom as their work is so hard and laborious. We pray that they would have time for their three daughters and to show the grace and the mercy of Christ to them as well. We pray for Alex and his family as they are reeling over their adopted son, uh, leaving home. Lord, we also pray for our uh, contacts in the government, Camilla and Gabriella. We just ask that you would uh, undergird them, Lord, that you would give us opportunities to continue to speak the gospel, to show the difference of a gospel-driven ministry. We just ask that they would see the difference in the families that we are sending, and Lord, that you would open their hearts and their minds to uh, just this process, and to streamline this process, Lord, and to open this process up to many families for these children in Romania who are waiting. Lord, we just ask that you would uh, as well be with our team that will travel this fall to uh, work with Families Count and to work with the, the indigenous people groups to help them care for the orphans around them. We just ask that you would be with this team, prepare them. Uh, Lord, use them in mighty and strong ways. And Lord, we just thank you for the team that we have here on the ground here at Lifeline, as well as our unadopted partnerships that are forming in Romania. We pray that you continue to keep our team strong and give them wisdom and grace, but that you would also just continue to increase our partnerships in Romania for the cause of your glory, your kingdom, and your justice to be known, and ultimately for your gospel to be proclaimed in Romania. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.